Well, I pray that your Christmas was wonderful and special. Uh, over the next, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the different Christmas characters, right? In the story, the most special birth in all of history, and we've been looking at that. I told Sarah, uh, I also just want to thank everyone who uh, continued everything going on here while we were out for a couple of weeks. Uh, greatly appreciated. And uh, at this time, I always forget this, at this time, children ages four through seven are dismissed for children's worship. Uh, I was supposed to specify to the four to seven age just so people are aware. But it seemed like Christmas just flew by. Uh, we were inside the house for, what, 10, 12 days, and, and you come out, and the Christmas lights are up, but they're not going to be up for much longer, except for those people who leave their Christmas lights up all year round, right? And it's kind of like, all right, guys, time to take those down. Is there anyone here that leaves their Christmas lights up all year round? So in Bolivia, where I come from, people, they, 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 they would decorate the city, right? But they would leave the Christmas lights up all year round. And so the music, they would, all the, all the, have you heard the trees before that play uh, different Christmas songs like uh, the, the lights do, right? They have that music, the really tinny sound that you click and dun, 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 dun. But in Bolivia, they leave them up all year round. So the rain and the moisture gets inside and joy to the world doesn't sound like joy to the world anymore breaks apart. It just is terrible. But I was telling Sarah that it really feels like Christmas flew by this year. Maybe you feel the same way. I remember talking to a good number of people who were saying, I just, I can't wait until Christmas of 2020 because 2020 has been just such a weird year. I just can't wait for Christmas. And Christmas is past. And soon we begin a new year. But there's something about the last Sunday of December. I'm not ready to move on from Christmas just yet. And so today what I want to do is I want to bring the whole series together and I want us to look at the reason for the season, right? We're going to look at Jesus. As we've looked at Zechariah and we've looked at Mary and Pastor Paul um, bringing the message on the shepherds and on the wise men and today we bring it all together and looking at the person of Jesus in the Christmas season. Now, over the next couple of weeks, moving forward, we're actually going to begin the book of Jonah. And we're going to study the life of Jonah and all that the Bible has to tell us in the book of Jonah. But today, we look at the lessons that we learn through the birth of Christ. Now, there's so much that we can learn about the way Christ lived his life. But today, we're focusing only on the birth of Christ. Only on the birth of Christ. You know, we spent time... Looking at Zechariah and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men, yet without Christ, we never will be talking about any of these people. But today, we talk about Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, reads the following. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Would you pray with me as we begin our message this morning? Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for Christmas. Lord, may we always reflect on the miracle that is Christmas. 
as much as we anticipate this season, um, as the rest of time it flies by. But Lord, may we always focus and remember the great miracle that is Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to break this passage apart verse by verse and, and look at the birth of Christ. And then what I want to do after we look at the birth of Christ and the story is look at some of the things that we can pull out for our own lives. Some of the lessons that we learn. So look at verse 1 with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, who's this Caesar Augustus guy, right? He, he ruled Rome from 27 BC to 14 AD. Every single person, when it says the whole world, it's, it's not referring to the whole globe, right? It's referring to anyone that was within the, the confines, for lack of a better term, of the Roman Empire. Every single person that was within the Roman Empire had to return to the town from which they were born. They had to do that so that they could be registered. It was a census. We had a census not that long ago, right? Happened here. And uh, have you ever wondered, and this is maybe just a little bit of a side note, but why do you give some random person that comes and knocks at your door a whole bunch of your information? Did you ever think about that before? And uh, so it, it was funny because we had a census guy actually come to our house and knock on the door because after we moved to Quarryville, we did the census in Oxford, but he came to Quarryville and, and Sarah wasn't 100% sure about giving him a lot of information. So I looked up online, how do you know a census taker is a real census taker? Do you know? Well, they have a little bag that says United States Census. I, th I, be I bet somebody sells those on eBay. I don't know. I don't really trust <laughs> just giving my information to someone that randomly comes and knocks at my door. But anyways, there's a census here, right? And they had to go back to their town so that they could be registered. Well, the census served two purposes. For those who were not Jewish, um, the men were then registered for military service. The young men were registered for military service. But for everybody else, for those who were Jewish, because the Jewish people were exempt from military service, but for those who were Jewish, it served as an opportunity to understand and make sure that they were taxing everybody appropriately. But when I look at this, this first verse, and when you look at the whole confines of God's word, the whole, the whole uh, context of the Bible, because this is one story, right? I know at times we break it apart and we read one book or one chapter or one verse, but we have to realize that the Bible is one story from beginning to end. It's God's story, right? We realize that God used Caesar Augustus to fulfill prophecy. This Roman emperor is used to fulfill prophecy. Now, now, what does that mean? How could that happen? Well, Caesar Augustus, this powerful ruler of Rome, ordered everyone to go back to their town. Now we know that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. And the way that God got them there was by having Caesar Augustus decree that everyone had to return to their town. See, God knew that a census was coming. And he planned to make sure that Mary and Joseph would be at the right place at the right time. Look at Micah chapter 5 with me. Verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is for of old from ancient days. This is, of course, referring to Jesus, the Messiah, right? The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And how does God accomplish it? Through Caesar Augustus. The birth of Christ in Bethlehem was a fulfillment of prophecy that Micah wrote over 700 years ago. 
700 years before the birth of Christ. This isn't an accident. This is God's plan. And God works everything according to his plan. God can use any person to fulfill his plan, even Caesar Augustus. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now let me, let me give you a little bit of history because we are going to get to the, the application part in a little bit, but it's important for us to understand and be able to defend the scripture as well, right? It's, it's important for us to believe and understand why we believe what we believe, but we also have to make sure that we understand anything that people might say, well, this is debatable. Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., and Pastor Paul, of course, talked about Herod um, when he talked about the wise men. But here we, we, we are pointed to someone by the name of Quirinius, right? And this gives us a little bit of history. But it's debated because Quirinius, the, the historical record that we have of Quirinius as governor of Syria, doesn't actually start until 6 AD, which would be approximately 10 years after Jesus is born. So some people have looked at this passage and have said, well, well this, this means that Luke must have made a mistake. <laughs> Well, if you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, right, which means that God breathed all Scripture, it means that there is no mistake in Scripture, right? So that can't be what it is. So what, what are we looking at? Well, there's two different options here for this verse, and it's important for us to understand this. The first thing is that the word that's used to say the word first in this, this was the first registration, could also be translated to be the word before. Before. So this was the registration before Quirinius was governor of Syria. It could possibly be that in the English language. The other explanation, which is one that many will go to, is that Quirinius actually served two different terms as governor of Syria. Two different terms in office. This, the one that we're referring to now, would have happened during his first term, which we just don't have historical record of, but is recorded here in the Bible. And his second term would have been about that 6 AD time frame. Um, this is one that many different scholars will point to and say, this is, this is the most likely of the two. Um, but the first one is an option as well. <coughs> Excuse me. That the word first could actually be translated the word before. But here we're given a, a time frame. This happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And in verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Each person had to return to where they came from. Now think about that with me for a moment. If you had to go back to where you were born, would that be an inconvenience? If you had to stop everything that you were doing right now, because Caesar Augustus said you need to go back to where you're from, would that be an inconvenience to you? It would be for you, wouldn't it, Willie? It's a long way across the water, isn't it? <laughs> but we'd be going to different continents, different parts of the country, different towns. Some of you wouldn't have to go anywhere, right? You're already here, but others would. They each had to return to where they came from. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now it's important that we notice here, and in verse 5 it also says to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. Joseph, being from the lineage of David, Jesus is from the lineage of David on both sides. Legally, through his father, and through blood on the side of his mother. We know that Mary is also through the lineage of David. Not only... Were they following the request of Caesar Augustus to travel over 70 miles from one place to another? But Mary was also significantly pregnant at this time. So you think about this with me, and I, I want you to process this with me. As much as, if you heard today, Caesar Augustus said that by Monday of next week, so tomorrow, you have to begin your trip 
to the town you were born from. That would be an inconvenience. Stop everything and go. Not only did Mary and Joseph have to stop what they were doing and go, but Mary was also significantly pregnant and now had to travel over 70 miles. Can you imagine being pregnant and traveling 70 miles? I can't. <laughs> I literally can't. Can you imagine being the spouse of somebody and traveling with them 70 miles? That's a long trip. That would not be enjoyable for anyone. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I know many, many Christmas programs and dramas, and I appreciate what Pastor Paul said when he talked about the, the maybe traditional Christmas story that we'll talk about or we'll see in plays and, and what the Bible actually says. It's important to differentiate between the two because sometimes we take a lot of creative license in telling the story. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it's important to understand what the actual biblical text says. A lot of Christmas dramas have Joseph and Mary basically barely making it into Bethlehem before Jesus is born. And the Bible doesn't actually tell us that. The Bible says that they get to Bethlehem and while they were there, Jesus was born. Could it have been the first day they arrived? Sure. It makes for a great play. A great story. Did it actually happen that way? We're not sure. But we know that once they arrived, once they arrived in Bethlehem, the time came for Jesus to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Jesus is born. He's wrapped in cloth. He's put in a manger by his earthly parents. The Son of God is, is swaddled by two human beings. Think about that with me for a moment. He was not born in some special room in a medical center. Or even the nicest room in the inn. Many people thought he's born in a stable. Others have pointed to a cave. In this verse, we're also pointed to how Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, which reminds us that Jesus also had half-brothers and sisters, right, later on. But now I want you to think with me for a moment about the lessons that we learned from the birth of Christ because you're, you're familiar with Luke 2, 1 to 7. You've probably heard it read a million times in your life. But, but what can we pull out of this story when we look at who Jesus is and how he came and how the world changed on that night in Bethlehem? What can we pull out and look at for ourselves? And the first thing that I see when I look at the birth of Christ, I see God's great plan, right? And I talked about this with Caesar Augustus and how God can use anyone to accomplish his plan. And what, what Mary and Joseph and what many people probably viewed as an inconvenience, God was using to fulfill prophecy. We see the blindness of humanity, the sinful and wickedness of the hearts of mankind when we look at the Christmas story. The most important birth happened in Bethlehem, but I wonder how many people in Bethlehem actually realized that something special happened that night. The shepherds did. But how many others... There was a commentator and he wrote this, what the inhabitants of Bethlehem did in their ignorance is done by many today in their willful indifference. They refused to make room for the Son of God. 
They give no place in their feelings, their affections, their thoughts, their views of life, their wishes, their decisions, their actions, or their daily conduct. Let me read that one more time. What the inhabitants of Bethlehem did in their ignorance is done by many today in woeful indifference. They refuse to make room for the Son of God. They give no place in their feelings, their affections, their thoughts, their views of life, their wishes, their decisions, their actions, or their daily conduct. So I ask you this today as we look at the Christmas story, how much room do you make in your life for Jesus? When we reflect on, on how Jesus came to Bethlehem, this, this <laughs> Mary and Joseph coming in during a census, and how many people didn't even realize what was going on. Are you looking to see what God is doing in your life? Are your eyes open? Are you asking the Lord, Lord, I know you're, you might be doing something here, but I might just be missing it. Please show me more clearly. Are you too busy for Jesus? How many other things are more important? In the Christmas season, man, life is busy. Even this year, you run from one gathering with your family to another group, to another this, to another that. You have one event over here. Christmas is busy. Are you making time for Jesus in your life? Do you think that God's trying to get your attention? And maybe you're too focused on something else to notice. Think with all the busyness that happened in Bethlehem, that's probably the fullest the town had ever been. As all of these people from all over were coming back who were born there at one point. How many people notice the birth of the Son of God? What's God doing in your life right now that you're missing? Think about that with me for a moment. Because I think at times, we, we, you know how many people expected Jesus to come as this mighty ruler who was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, right? And sometimes we think of God as, as that way in our life too. We expect him to be something that we try to create him to be. We expect God to come in this way that we want him to come in. When he comes as a whisper, like he did on the mountaintop. Or he comes quietly in the night. Like he did in Luke chapter 2. But not only do we see the sinfulness of mankind and God's great mercy, but in the birth of Christ we also see the humility of Christ in coming to this earth. The humble king. The humble king. Think about this with me. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left the glories of heaven to come here. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I enjoy my life. I am thankful for my life. But this life doesn't even begin to compare to what heaven's going to be like. Not even close. But Jesus left heaven to come here. And we'll get to that in a minute. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was emptied in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I apologize. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A very familiar passage talking about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, but we see here that Though he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Well, when we talk about emptying himself, it doesn't mean he stopped being God, right? He's fully God, fully man, but he gave up the glories of heaven to come here. It's easy to think about the birth of Christ through the lens of a children's book, right? We read them at Christmas time. This Christmas Eve, we went home and we sat down and, and we read the story of the birth of Christ. But the true birth of Christ was not as silent of a night as a song that we sing about. They didn't find a nice five-star stable that had super fancy lights. There was no TV in the corner with satellite TV and camel races on that they could all watch. There were no little chocolate mints laid on the hay pillows. Jesus left the glories of heaven to be born not even in an inn. Imagine how dirty the stable probably was. It wasn't the local lavish Hilton. It wasn't even a budget six motel. It was a stable or a cave. Leaving the glories of heaven for that. We know childbirth isn't the cleanest of processes. Leaving the glories of heaven for that. To deal with all of the difficulties that man deals with. He left all of that. Humbled himself. Taking the form of a human being. <coughs> Emma has sung for us a song now. Uh, two weeks. One Christmas Eve and one of the Sundays. And uh, how many kings the song is called. Let me read you the words. Of part of it. It says, follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe after all we've projected, a child in a manger? Lowly and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero, wrapped in his mother's shawl. Just a child. <laughs> Is this who we've waited for? Then the chorus says, how many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. He humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven. Why? All of this for what? And the truth is, he humbled himself for our salvation. Think about that with me. The Son of God. I, I don't know about you guys, but, but, but the, more, the more I feel like I grow in my walk with God, the more I, I'm, I'm perplexed by the beauty of the gospel. The more I feel like I, I get to know God better and I grow in my relationship with him, the more the gospel message of how much God loves someone like me is mind-blowing. And Jesus did that. He left everything for you and for me. He humbled himself. He gave up his comforts for you and for me. 
to a world that would despise him and reject him, knowing that many people that he would give up his life for would turn away from him and want nothing to do with him. Yet he came here for you and for me to give his life so that we could have a chance to be restored in our relationship with God. In January of 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries gave their lives in Ecuador in an effort to reach the Wyodani or the Alka Indians. This fierce group was known to attack any outsiders, but the vision for reaching them with the gospel compelled these young men to take the risk. Not long after they set up camp near the Wyodani village, they were attacked by the warriors. Refusing to defend their lives with force, the missionaries were killed. The news flashed around the world, and the story of courage and sacrifice challenged many to, to take up the missionary cause. Even today, Eliot's words live on. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In a very real sense, Jim Elliot and his missionary friends were living the spirit of Christmas. They were willing to give up the comforts of home and the promising careers to lay down their lives to take the gospel to those who had never heard before. They could have fought back and defended themselves, but they chose not to. And this is what Jesus did for us in coming to earth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The author of, of this illustration here writes, Nothing of lasting sacrifice and importance for God is ever accomplished without great sacrifice. Whether it's our time, talent, or treasure, or even our lives, you must be willing to give up what is temporary for the sake of what is eternal. When we do, we are following the example and pattern of Christ and walking in his steps. Those are not my words. Those are words of, a, of an illustrator who painted the picture of what Jim Elliot did. And I think he summed it up, or she, whoever wrote this, summed it up so well. Are you willing to humble yourself and give up the comforts in your life to reach somebody with the gospel? Now I think when, when people think of that, when they hear the idea of humbling self and giving up comforts, they immediately think of selling everything they have and going to the mission field. And maybe God's calling you to that, but that's not what I'm actually referring to right now. Are you willing to step outside of what's easy for you to take the message of Jesus, the message of hope, the message of salvation to the person that you know you should have already been telling. But maybe right now there isn't the courage to do so. Jesus is willing to come here for you. Left behind the glories of heaven to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. Are we willing to carry that message to the world around us? I know many here, you have passions for missions, and the Lord has laid it on your heart. And for some of you, it's missions overseas, and for some of you, it's, it's missions here locally. And that's wonderful, and that's great, and I, I encourage you in that, and I pray that the Lord continues to give you a greater passion for that. But what if you look at the person that's right on your right when you're in the grocery store? Or the coworker that sits next to you? Or the person in school who's sitting at the desk across from you. Are you willing to carry the gospel to those people? Sometimes I'm convinced 
that it's much harder to share the gospel with that person than it is to share with someone you don't even know. Yet we have to share the message. The message that Christmas is really all about. And it's that we as people turned away from God and God in his great mercy, the greatest story of grace, sent his son to this world. The Christmas story points us to God's sovereignty, to his great plan. It points us to our own sinfulness. It points us to the Savior who left the glory of heaven to meet us where we are today. So I have three questions for you as we end today. The first one is this. Are you listening and looking for how God is working? Are you listening and looking for how God is working? There's a lot going on in the world around us. It's easy to throw a whole bunch of things away. But the truth is that God is moving in a tremendous way. When I look back at 2020, there, there's a lot of things, difficult things, great things, but one of the things that, that I will not forget about this year, and I, I hope that when I reflect on this year in the future, and my children are older, and they ask me about 2020, it's a year that I can share with them and say, you know, it's crazy, but God was moving in a great way. And here's how I saw God working, and here's how I saw the world changed, and here's how I saw God affect this, and God move this. Are you listening, and are you looking for how God's working and moving? Because he is. Bible says he doesn't stop. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't rest. He keeps working. And are you willing to give up your comfort to reach the lost? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort to reach the lost? Now for some of you, it, it might mean selling what you have and going to the mission field. For some of you, it might mean the comfort of that relationship that exists between you and another person. And you have to ask God for the confidence through his Holy Spirit to be able to step outside of your comfort zone and tell them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to give up comfort to reach the lost? The greatest story of grace ever told. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for who you are and for what you teach us. Lord, we confess today that we are sinful people and that we make mistakes. We don't need to tell you that. You already know that. But we, we confess that to you today. And we thank you for the greatest story of grace. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the lessons that are learned. We thank you, Lord, for, for each and everything that we can pull out of this story. We thank you for something we just don't deserve. Humble us, Lord, before you. Lord, give us confidence to carry the gospel to our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. 
to those who don't know you. Give us boldness to share this message. As the shepherds, the the lowliest of low in the community, had the confidence to go and tell people about the birth of the Messiah, Lord, we should do the same. And, And Lord, we pray that you would, through your spirit, give us the words that we are to speak to the people around us. That through your spirit, you would give us confidence and boldness. That timidity would flee. Because the spirit of timidity is not from you. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to what you're doing around us. In an evil world, show us how you're working. Help us to not miss even the little things that you do. And may you receive all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.